All right, this is Dark Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by first Chris. How's it going, Chris? Uh, hey, uh, it's good. Yeah, busy. <laughs> I've got lots of things going on, um, but uh, you're running a few things and hobby stuff. We'll get into that in a little bit. But more importantly, we have got a pretty cool guest for this episode. That's right, we do. Uh, we're joined by Khaldun Khalil. Uh, he's one of the writers on uh, several uh, V5 projects, including the recent Sabat uh, book, which we'll be digging into a little bit. Uh, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. Yeah, really excited to have you here. Uh, but before we get on to the main topics, talking about Vampire and some of the recent supplements and your other, your other storied uh, RPG career, uh, Chris, why don't you give us a little game update? What kind of gaming have you been doing lately? Uh, I ran a Wrath and Glory stream, which was uh, the Bloody Gate, uh, called Bloody Gates, which is a uh, published scenario, and that was a lot of fun um, with some Astra Militarum. Uh, going up against heretics and so forth outside of uh, a hive city. Um, yeah, that was, that was hilarious in places. And I finally finished painting Cursed City for um, Warhammer Quest. So I am playing that a bit more. Uh, and it's really satisfying being able to play that as a fully painted game. Um, so that's pretty much my gaming. Uh, Mike, what about you? Anything game-wise for you? No, absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been painting. Yeah, yeah, New Year holidays. Uh, I've been painting a bunch of Napoleonic Prussian soldiers. So that'll be sweet once they're finally done. Um, cool. So I've I've really I've gone out the deep end. So is that all contrast painted as well? Pretty much, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, uh, contrast, actually, the, the contrast Apothecary White from Games Workshop is pretty yes. good. But I'm really excited for the new Army Painter Speed Paints because they are uh, like one third the price and possibly better and more consistent. So we'll see how those uh, turn out. There's a lot of um, products like that now. There's ones from Scale 75, and I think, does Vallejo have its own? I think Vallejo has its own as well. So, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a trend. They they're definitely a uh, a tool in the toolkit. Um, but moving on, uh, what have we got gaming news wise? What new interesting releases are there? So, next month, mid March, March sixteenth is V five Second Inquisition. Uh, that releases. So that will be. That'll be the date that it starts shipping, which means that obviously if you pre-ordered it or you order it on the day, that means you'll mostly get the PDF on the same day, which also means that you can buy it as PDF if you just want you know, digital and don't want dead, uh, dead wood. Um, also currently on its path has got tons of sales for their 10th anniversary with 90% off PDFs and they're rotating those sales, aren't they, Mike? So one week it's like changeling the next week it's like you know demon yeah absolutely but they're great deals and i picked up a, a lot of books to like fill out my uh my vampire 20th collection on pdf at least and it only cost me a couple bucks to do that so it's a really That's nice cool. opportunity and i think also because we have uh Khaldun here uh we wanted to just highlight second inquisition a little bit because i believe Khaldun, you worked on it i know you really can't talk about much at the moment but is there anything you want to kind of just pass along to people to uh, get them excited about the uh, upcoming release. Uh, yeah, I was one of the authors uh, on the book. 
along with Ken Height and uh, Kat Evans. It was a really interesting, interesting book to work on because it uh, allowed me to kind of uh, bring in some of, uh, I don't know if I should call it expertise, but definitely some of my knowledge of defense systems and counterintelligence uh, and the such uh, into a game setting that's, you know, modern uh, and has to be used in a, you know, interesting and new way, obviously, because you're dealing with vampires and uh, other supernatural creatures. Uh, so I think it's going to it's going to bring a lot to uh, a game, whether you use them uh, as kind of an oppressive force that you have to look over your shoulder for, or if it's more of a, I don't want to say Keystone Cops, but if it's more of a kind of a foil for your players, uh, you know, something that kind of nibbles around the edges of your game but doesn't really uh, take over the game, I think there's a lot of room there uh, for both uses. Uh, and we give a lot of options for, you know, how to use them in your game. And there's plenty of reason why it's, you know, like any mortal institution, there's a lot of reasons why it's not operating at maximum efficiency. Um, you know, not to give anything away, but, you know, just like all things with people in the real world, uh, when they have access to power, uh, especially if it's, you know, clandestine power and power they maybe shouldn't have and are using in, you know, illegal or forbidden ways, um, they're going to they're gonna use it for their own ends and their own purposes. I mean, sure, you know, they're going to spend some time killing off vampires and the various creatures of the night, uh, but they're going to also redirect those resources, you know, for their own interests, whether they be personal or national and, interests. And, I mean, and that's, it's going to be an interesting book, I'm sure, because, like, the, the Second Inquisition... I you know, use the the quotation marks around it isn't like a, a single singular monolithic organization it's it's more of a movement that's made up of various different national right. Right. or societal organizations because i mean of course you've got the society of leopold and uh, very and very ancient organizations maybe that lurk in who've lurked around in history constantly fighting vampires and then you've got obviously the more I'm sure and there are the more modern resurgences of old you know governmental organizations or so forth as they re rediscover vampires exist and obviously you know refer to them as hemophores and try to rationalize what are supernatural creatures so yeah that should be a lot of lot of fun to use and um inject into the game in different ways Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're not uh, they're not monolithic. We detail the various factions, where they come from, what their goals are, what their motivations are, what they think of the other organizations. We even detail mm. the weak points of each individual faction uh, so nice. that players can, you know, really if they really want to focus on the Second Inquisition as the core of their game, we give them a lot to work with, not just in how the Second Inquisition can mess you up, but how your coterie can possibly get a little payback and what's going to work on one faction, you know, is not going to work on another faction um, and, and, and why that is. Uh, and, and we definitely do our best to um, make it a three-dimensional complex organization, not, um, you know, the second inquisition, as you said, this yeah. monolith. Uh, throughout most of the, of the book, we, we basically can, we, we, we yes. call it a conspiracy. It's basically it's a conspiracy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I also kind of want to just highlight with that, that, uh, you know, this is going to be an antagonist book for vampire, but it could also serve potentially for an antagonist book 
for mm. Hunt of the Reckoning, whenever that comes out, a new fifth edition that well, they've announced. Hunt of the so. Reckoning, I believe Justin tweeted that they, I think they've done the, it's going into layout, and uh, oh, I, I'm pretty sure it's that far along now. So layouts, and then you know, obviously there'll be proofs of layout before printing. So that's yeah, that's pretty well developed at that point. Yeah, definitely. I think that just about covers it with the news, and uh, why don't we move on to the main topic, which is Khaldun. Oh, okay, I'm mopping the spotlight now, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Khaldun, why don't we start off with uh, a bit of your gaming history, uh, so maybe like how you started, and then also if you want to share some of your, I don't know, kind of street cred. As a uh, as an RPG writer, we'd really appreciate that too. Well, I guess I started with RPGs. Um, I don't know in the third or fourth grade. Uh, played some, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I forget what it was. One of the box sets. I forget which one it was at that point uh, mm-hmm. that came out. Um, so it was uh, quite a long time ago. But I, I guess I really didn't get into RPGs in a, in a serious way uh, until. I was maybe in uh, middle school, and, and mostly I played superhero RPGs, like Champions, stuff like that. Um, I read a lot of uh, Warhammer 40k um, books, though I, I never got to play. I actually had a whole epic miniature, I had a, I had a whole epic army of Warhammer 40k. Uh, Marines, I had Marines, you know, I had, I had a, uh, Epic second edition or first? Uh, I don't remember, <laughs> um, bases, yeah. but boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it had the square bases, correct. Uh, it had the square bases, and I had a whole marine epic army and mm-hmm. read all the books, um, and yeah, I had no one to play with. Uh, so, you know, and, and you know, and, and so, so it continues today with my poor Dusty uh-huh. Eldar. Um, yeah, sitting in a, sitting in a closet. Um, but yeah, so um, then I guess, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and Rifts and stuff like that, uh, Made up most of my RPG diet until uh, Vampire the Masquerade came out in the 90s. And then since then, I've been playing it since, uh, you know, the first edition, the softcover book. I uh, was lucky enough to actually have been working in a gaming store. I was, you know, the cashier at a RPG hobby store when it first came in on their shelves as this, you know, softcover book. And I, I snatched it up right away. Uh, and ever since then, I, you know, I've been playing it. Uh, and uh, and a lot of live action vampire as well. I think I've been playing live action vampire since I don't know 1993 was my first live action vampire game. Um, yeah, it was run by Ian Lemke and Mike Ooh. Tinney actually uh, in Baltimore. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, yeah. To listeners that don't know, uh, Ian Lemke wrote for uh, Changeling: The Dreaming. He's one of the original like uh, developers for that. And then also Mike Tinney, uh, White Wolf, for a little while. Yeah, yeah, they used to run a LARP production company called Night Owl Productions, uh, oh, and, uh, you know, we used to play in all their LARPs. We'd go all over the place to play in their LARPs, uh, you know, and, and Mike and Ian are, you know, are great guys. So they, they really, uh, they ran great games, and, you know, it was pretty exciting to see them actually, you know, get onto the other side and, uh, you know, uh, help develop and run, you know, White Wolf uh, and, and, and some really interesting games for White Wolf. Um, and then, you know, uh, I ran a lot of large-scale LARPs myself, vampire LARPs, and I think my first credit on a vampire book uh, was uh, Cairo by Night, um, developed by Justin Achille, 
I was a project consultant for that because, you know, they needed somebody who knew about Cairo and, you know, Arabic and Muslim uh, culture, or sorry, Arab and Muslim culture, that kind of thing. Um, so I, you know, I did my best <laughs> and I got to, you know, write some, I actually got to write for the book here and there. And uh, as an additional award, the, uh, the author uh, named one of the true Bruja after me, which, uh, you know, is, is terrible since I hate <laughs> that clan, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and ever since then, I've been working on uh, RPG books uh, here and there. Uh, mostly as, you know, a freelance side gig as I went to school and, you know, worked. I worked in the, the oil business for 15 years uh, and uh, went to school for uh, international security policy uh, and, uh, you know, counterintelligence and counterterrorism was my focus, but uh, strictly as an academic and a scholar, not as a, a practitioner. Uh, I've, I've never worked for any government, um, or government agency. Um, and, uh, you know, recently I've been able to, uh, dedicate more time to writing games and, you know, that's what I, I hope to do, you know, professionally going forward. So, uh, you know, that, that's me. I, I as far as, uh, recent books that I've written on, I guess I can start with, uh, Requiem. Uh, I wrote for Belial's Brood, uh, the Mythologies book, and then uh, for V5, I uh, did uh, some rewrites for the Camarilla book and some um, uncredited consulting for the Bano Hakim in that book. Of course, I've you know written on the Sabat book, uh, the upcoming second inquisition book, and uh, you know other and other and other work to come that I, I can't yes. talk about yet. Awesome. Yeah, very, very exciting. And uh, Khaldun, I was just doing a little little Google search after you mentioned the True Bruja thing. And did you know that your character, I believe, became a card in the Correct. Vampire the Eternal Struggle card game, too? That's right, yes. Dang. Wow, the legend <laughs> continues. So, so it would seem. Well, I'm, uh, I'm named after a very famous historical figure. So, oh, okay. Cool. Uh, uh, so as, as a... Um, I don't know if it, if joke is the right word, but uh, as to 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 pull to get my goat, uh, decided to embrace the historical figure who I am uh, named after. Very cool, very cool. So that's really interesting that you you brought up all these other games, you know, particularly with uh with World of Darkness. Uh, did you did you mention working on any stuff that's outside or beyond World of Darkness or the Chronicles of Darkness game lines? Oh, um, yeah, I've written on um, a few Cthulhu games. The, the one is out uh, now uh, as a Kickstarter for Green Ronin called Cthulhu Awakens, which is kind of a new spin on Cthulhu. Uh, it doesn't really play with the setting too much. It, it allows you to play in uh, different eras, uh, but it uh, kind of takes a, takes a different perspective on the whole, uh, you know, madness slash insanity angle. Uh, and... Uh, really brings that into more of, um, I guess, uh, I guess alienation is the better, better way to put it. It's like a, a kind of being able to empathize with an alien perspective alienates you from, you know, other humans, uh, and mortals, uh, and changes the way you think and interact with reality. Uh, and that, and that's kind of the, the slant the game takes. And I think it's a very interesting, interesting angle, both mechanically and philosophically. Uh, I wrote on the uh, Doom game, both the uh, a little bit on the core book and on the supplement um, for uh, Arrakis, uh, obviously on on the planet uh, Dune, uh, and I think the Storyteller's Companion for that too. Um, I think I think that's all I've written on recently. Yeah, for for other non WAD titles. Yeah. 
Okay, good stuff. Well, we'll definitely ask you some questions about uh, about Dune later. But why don't we uh, talk about uh, Vampire 5th Edition a little bit? Because, you know, it's currently being published. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around it, you know, particularly with some of the new books that have been coming out. But uh, when you got started uh, with V5, I believe it was with the, uh, the rewrites on the, uh, the Camarilla book uh, that, that uh, was done a couple years back. And, you know, you rewrote portions of the V5 Camarilla book, uh, particularly pertaining to the Gehenna War. So could you kind of just describe uh, some of the, the changes that you made to that conflict and, uh, you know, what kind of inspired or influenced uh, those changes being done? Well, I don't know really why, what influenced or inspired, you know, those particular changes being done. It's just the, the book uh, obviously was brought back in to, um, you know, be edited and changed. Mm-hmm. And so there, were, there was an editorial review board, um, which, which I was a part of. So they, they, off, they asked several editors, okay. writers, and RPGs to review both the Camry and the Anarch book and to basically give our thoughts on what needed to be changed uh, here and there. Um, and, you know, I spotted some things that I wouldn't call them problematic, but I spotted some things in the Gehenna War section that I thought, um, you know, needed to be changed to reflect, you know, certain realities uh, concerning, you know, uh, Western perspectives on the Middle East uh, and North Africa. So I was lucky enough to be uh, brought on after that process to, you know, not necessarily make my rewrites, actually, but to, to make rewrites in line with, you know, the changes that were made in the meta plot concerning the Gehenna War. Uh, when V5 uh, was first introduced, um, the Gana War was a very nebulous concept in the core book. Uh, and uh, there was this kind of perception and the Gana War section, which is a, a first-person POV story told by an archon in the Middle East, kind of enforced that perception that the Gana War was strictly concentrated on the Middle East. That basically you could map the Gehenna War, this vampire-on-vampire conflict, perfectly on to the borders of human conflicts. Uh, and that wasn't the original intention, uh, but it's very easy to see how the audience, upon reading those books, would uh, you know, perceive it that way. Um, I mean, that's definitely yeah. how I perceived it, reading, reading those sections. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I assumed. You know, it was really focused on, I think, primarily Iraq. Um, but there were, there were a couple you know, side notes about, like... Um, I think like uh, the Donbass region of Ukraine also being uh, a site of the Ukraine war. And, and you're right, you know, it seemed like it really mapped to ongoing human conflicts. So that seems to be uh, the major change that you really made was that this is now just kind of the, it, it's, it's more of the global hot war between elder vampires, typically, uh, that's going on in the, the backdrop of Vampire 5th Edition. Would you, would you agree with that explanation? Yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, I mean, it's assumed that it's a conflict being driven by elders. Like, that. that's all in the shadows, and it's assumed that it's somehow connected to the beckoning. Uh, but that that's not necessarily the case. It, it depends how you want to use it in your story. Uh, the beckoning is definitely something which, you know, the more light you shed on it, the less interesting it is for players and storytellers. So we, we have to kind of dance around that concept a, a lot of times, um, because we want... We definitely want that to be used by players and storytellers in, in a way that's going to be best for their game. As far as the Gehenna War, right, we wanted the Gehenna War to be something that wasn't just this far-off thing, this, you know, kind of backstory plot element MacGuffin that was happening offstage. Uh, you know, we didn't want a Shakespeare play where 
you know, major characters were dying off stage uh, for your game. And then we go, whoop, Gehenna War, you know, uh, we wanted it to be something that if you wanted to bring it into your game, you could. So that that's kind of where the concept of uh, the hidden corners of the earth uh, came. And it's basically the Gehenna War is happening in the mountains of Peru. It's happening in Iraq. And it's happening, you know, across the street from you in Ohio. Uh, you know, where there are elders or information about elders, then the Gehenna War is happening. And the people prosecuting the Gehenna War, uh, you know, on the ground are young vampires, you know, just like you. And I think that's, that's really, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a good change because I'd say it's, it makes it a something you can draw into your game. And I think there's something, there's something quite compelling about the idea that that like a skirmish that you know, your vampire character may well have heard of in some run-down district of the city is actually part of that ongoing global conflict. And it feels less, how can I say, exploitative in, in a kind of a narrative way to just go, oh, the Gehenna War is where all the major conflicts are which don't involve, you know, trouble to Western society in, in some respect, like to go... Where everything's bad in the in say particularly in say the Middle East or in Africa, that's because of the Sabat fighting, whatever. It's it's much more it's it just seems a bit more deeper and mysterious to say that it's spread where you don't expect it. Right, right. And also, I mean it's you can also look at it as the extension of the the eternal struggle yeah. of the previous editions, except now you know, these Methuselahs and possibly Antediluvians actually are rising and uh, could have a lot more uh, direct influence. And, you know, obviously, this all reason why we're asking about this because it ties in so well with the Sabat V5 book, yeah. uh, which really solidifies, I think, a lot of the uh, rewrite, not rewrites, but the uh, mm, enhanced explanation of uh, what exactly is going on and, you know, what, what people should expect out of uh, Vampire 5th Edition. So I really like it for, that, for those reasons. I think that it's... Uh, it's a pretty nice change, and again, you know, really does play into well with previous editions mm. that we've had. Yeah, Mike, it leads us on to then talk about the Sabat book in V5, because we... Oh, yeah. I would say that, obviously, you know, we, there are the, in the process of going, getting from the Camarilla book and its rewrite to where we are now with, uh, you know, with, with the Sabat book, what with the changes of White Wolf existing as an independent arm of paradoxal and being in the house and you know etc etc which we're not going to dwell on all the all the uh ins and outs of all that but i find on initial reading the sabbat book while it is a antagonist book it is written i find the way it is written is in a more how can i say like there's definitely insetting artifacts within that book, but it's definitely more guidance on how to use them than say the Camarilla and Anarch books, which yeah. while those are player facing books too, I don't find them as helpful to go, well, how do I use the Camarilla or Anarch as antagonists or or part of your story? It's the Sabat book I feel is a is a step change in in presentation of the the material. I would agree with that. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't privy to the um, you know the development yeah. cycle, uh, you know, the original development cycle of either the Camry or the Anarch book. So I can't say how they were developed, but I can definitely say, in, in having read those books, that yeah, the the tone and presentation of the Sabat book is much different. 
And I think, Mike, that mostly goes back to what we've, we always, when we um, go all the way back to World's Arts Berlin, where the initial idea of the of V5 would be this, this, this small setting book, and there would be rules that would bolt on with it to whichever rules you wanted. And I think the idea that, I guess, the Cameroon book and the Anarch book were, again, these initially, I guess, conceived as setting books, you know, as, as pure material that could be used in, the, in a LARP as well as at the tabletop. And I feel the Sabat book definitely shows the change of presentation of V5 to being tabletop more tabletop facing but even then i would say the sabbat book is still yeah. very good for um it for lot because again you give so we'll get more into this but there's so much structure in there about packs and uh and, and narratives that i think that allows you to if you are doing the lap you want to play sabbat then i think it gives you that guidance for it uh yeah definitely i mean all the different um the paths have their own, you know, little ethics sections and guidelines, which are definitely usable for LARP and are nice update from older editions, which haven't really seen um, any development really since, I guess, 1998 yeah. Vampire Revised came yeah. out. You know, maybe uh, Players Guide to, or Storyteller's Handbook to the Sabbat, which is what, like 2001. So it, it's been a hot minute since they've got they've had an update. And I think that's all really good. Uh, definitely usable for LARP. Uh, I'd say that. Um, I mean, just just kind of looking through this, and I don't know, Kaldun, if you have any other other insight, but whereas Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition, the Anarchy and Camarillo books, uh, had very, very experimental layouts, um, the Sabat book's very straightforward. It's pretty much two columns everywhere. Yeah. And it's it's very, very, very easy to read. Um, and I think, you know, that just in general, just the usability of it, whether it be the layout or how it was written, I think is uh, it's dead on for you know ease of players and ease of storytellers. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, we we're kind of talking before, but there's all these just little nuggets in there that I thought were were great and extremely useful. And you know, harkening back to V5 Camarilla um, and the uh, kind of updates that that got, I think there's some really good you know hints uh, that things have things have changed. Um, you know, for example, there was a sentence just saying that the understanding of of many Camarilla and, and Anarch vampires that the Gehenna War takes place solely in like the Middle East or Mesopotamia is is untrue, and then goes on to kind of explain you know the the more broad uh, format that it takes place in now. And I thought that was a really good way to you know kind of make the world seem more real you know for the world of darkness but also just kind of update people that might have only seen the original copies of uh camarilla or anarchs or only read the v5 book and never went any further than that so there's a lot of just great uh you know good and easy ways that the setting has been updated in this book that i think are are useful for everybody um so i definitely definitely really enjoy it i guess i think the question for Caldoon is like when you were brought on to writing the sabbat for v5 um what was the the what was like the the mission goal of how you present the sabbat for this new edition and given that you're writing purely an antagonist book well right yeah i mean so um right the baseline assumption when uh when we took on the book uh or when it was presented to me i should say because <clears throat> I, I I'm just a writer on the book. I'm not a mm. developer or anything along those lines. So you know the 
the box, the framework of the book was, you know, decided uh, and presented to me, and I took on on the work. I was very excited for it. Uh, it was definitely the the book I'd you know always wanted to write since I started writing for uh, for Vampire was uh, Sabat. Uh, so the fact that it was strictly antagonist and not a, a player's guide and wouldn't have any player's rules, I, you know, I didn't write any player facing rules for it. You know, we didn't, those weren't, you know, as some people think, maybe those were like stripped out at some point. It's like they just weren't written because we knew from the get go that these, that this stuff was not intended um, for player use, uh, except for the, you know, a, a couple of disciplines we put in there. Um, and those disciplines are, are very Sabat uh, oriented, Ooh. obviously, in the, in the V5 uh, Sabat book. So, I mean, the main thing was how do we differentiate this group? from the other vampires that a young vampire might encounter on a night-to-night basis. Like, how do you know, like, in your gut, you know, how, how does the, why are the back of your hair standing up on your neck, you know, that you know in your gut this is the sabat you're encountering? Like, the, that's the kind of stuff we wanted to write in. So um, I wrote a lot of the, the retay and some of the, some of the path stuff. So a lot of what the things I wrote about was... Uh, how how the how a non-Sabat vampire encounters something like the Valdry, how a non-Sabat vampire encounters something like the Blood Feast. Uh, when you encounter, um, you know, Cathari vampires, what does that mean for your coterie? What does that mean for your city? What kind of stories are you gonna t- are you gonna tell if you have Cathari or Path of Cain, um, you know, antagonist? Like, wh- what are, what are the things that they do? That you know, put a, a special that put their fingerprint as the enemy of the story, because we didn't want this undifferentiated Sabat horde. Mm. Uh, like we we definitely wanted them to feel inhuman, but we didn't want them to feel, I guess, like a just some mob you encounter in an MMO. We definitely wanted them to be um, poignant and to have different flavors. So that you could encounter the Sabbat multiple times um, as uh, player characters, and each time would be would be very different. And you know, in re- reading through it, and I don't know, Mike, whether you you got this feeling as well. Like the the, uh, you know, the the main focus, and I really it was really enjoyable to read the way the main focus is on um, the the paths and how that works in mechanically. So that you've got a representation of, again, more feedback on why the Sabbat think and act so differently. And it really reminded me a lot about, uh, it actually reminded me a lot about Requiem, to be perfectly honest. Because the idea that, you know, the Sabbat as it's presented, they, they, they see clan as this curse from the Antediluvians. And they're trying to throw off the shackles of, of clan and be more philosophically minded. And it just that resonated a lot when I thought about how we have in <laughs> weirdly in Requiem we have have all the so many covenants and clan seems to fall if you focus upon that and the differences clan falls into the background more, um, and and also when we we compared to that as well we I, I really like and I was expecting it anyway that right the right and, and you know, rituals and ceremonies are the way that the sabbat. Uh, deal with stains and and their morality, which again we're going to put in quotation marks because their morality is more how do they pretend to be human rather than how they maintain their 
humanity because that's basically been stripped away and again that seems to reflect <laughs> going back to requiem because requiem we have the idea that of um of again trying to mimic being a human and also that touchstones in requiem don't just have to be people they can be places things and ideals so i actually saw quite a lot of a lot of similarity there which which is not a bad thing because again we've seen things ported over uh, i don't know whether whether you how whether you th- thought those same things uh Khaldun, when you were when this book was being developed Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, I think one of the main reasons I was asked to uh, write on this book, other than you know everybody knows I love the Sabbat, is uh, is I had written for you know Blyle's Brood, yeah. which uh, at you know until until you know V five Sabbat was kind of seen as uh, the darkest uh, of the <laughs> um, of the Requiem line, um, or you know a, 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 you know official vampire up to that point. Uh, so. So certainly, like some of the lessons I learned there, um, and in that book particularly, we we kind of um, we delve deep into a, a lot of different esoteric thought when we were writing Blau's Brood. Uh, so that kind of informed uh, the way we wrote them. I mean, obviously, we didn't um, port over any you know people's real religious or spiritual beliefs, uh, but we definitely um, examined a lot of. Uh, esoteric thought, at least uh, Western esoteric thought, to kind of see how that kind of cult, this spiritual cult uh, devoted to, you know, vampirism itself uh, would work. Uh, so that definitely informed my thinking when writing um, on the V5 Sabbat book and, and on my own Sabbat book, as, as you were saying, uh, for The Vault, um, how, how stains and, hum- and, and how you could interpret humanity uh, for Sabbat. But I can talk about that later. But, but for the V5 Sabbat, definitely uh, Requiem, you know, uh, informed um, a lot of my thinking and a lot of my writing going forward on Vampire uh, ever since. I think there's a lot of great stuff uh, in Requiem that, uh, you know, we see in the bones now of V5. I mean, Blood Potency itself, a core V5 mechanic, is a, a direct port. Um, from Requiem, Requiem, such a great idea, and and I would say that the way V five handles blood potency uh, and the way it interacts with generation uh, is actually, uh, uh, you know, I, I think is a, a marvelous blending. I actually prefer it to the okay. way blood potency uh, works in Requiem. Yep, agreed, definitely agreed. Oh, uh, yeah. Keldun, because you worked on the, uh, you said you worked on some of the paths here. I'm just curious how much you referred back to uh, previous editions, or was there kind of an impetus to uh, kind of build things anew in a lot of ways. For me, I am, uh, I think we always kind of fall in love with, you know, well, you always kind of romanticize your first love, I guess is the best way to put it. So there's mm-hmm. always that like first RPG or that that first book that, you know, captures your imagination and, and you never really can shake that. And it's very difficult for other work to uh, measure up. To that, I'm sure we all have uh, either an RPG or a book that that falls into that category. Um, uh, and so when you see other people's interpretations, it, it's never quite right. And whether that's because you encountered that work when you were young or because, in my, as in my case, it was actually just, you know, really good, uh, then, you know, that's that. So, so for me, uh, the second edition, you know, The Player's Guide to the Sabbat by Stephen Brown was really kind of what, what I consider... Um, the best of the Sabbat books uh, written, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
as compared to even his own books, I think that was really where he did his best work. Uh, so for me, that's really what I consider my, my touchstone when I'm working on uh, Sabat stuff, whether official or unofficial. So obviously, I, I don't ignore the other Sabat stuff, but when it comes to thematic elements and, and the feel, I really try to evoke the feel of that book. And that's what I really want to want to refer to. Uh, though obviously I'll incorporate, you know, the canon from, you know, Revised and Dark Ages and, and so on. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds really great. Yeah, I uh, I broke out as I was reading V5 Sabat, I broke out first edition Vampire just to see if the description of the Sabat, which is only like four paragraphs in the core book, how it would, uh, if it was still valid with uh, V5 Sabat. And it was, you know, the uh, the basic bones are still there. So I thought that was pretty exciting to see. So, um, yeah, I mean, carry on then. So, I guess, I guess the question then is, in what ways do you feel for V five and the and the modern meta plot? What are the most kind of like interesting ways that the Sabat have evolved? Because clearly, the type of war they're waging has has changed as Gehenna is, I guess, real and on everyone's doorstep. That's a really good point. Um, I think I've, you know, I've talked about this uh, before here and there, but for me, I really feel the, um, on a meta game level, I feel the Sabat in a sense has, has won, you know, praise game, in that never before has so much of the core Sabat gameplay and, and ideology and lore been so front and center in Vampire the Masquerade as a whole. Uh, it used to be in older editions of Vampire the Masquerade that if you wanted that um, vampire spirit spirituality gameplay, where you, if you wanted that you know you know noddest, uh praise Cain gameplay, you would only get you could only get that in Sabat. Uh, you could not get a you know congregation of vampires together to have kind of an av- evangelical you know sermon of Cain in a Camry or Anarch game. Now you can't. Uh, that has become part of the gameplay. If you wanted to go fight the antediluvians, if you, you know, saw the true enemy was, you know, your ancestors coming to eat you, that was locked behind the door of the Sabbat. That's no longer the case. Now we have the Gehenna War as a main core component of V5. If that's the kind of game your table wants to play where you go fight the Gehenna War, whether for or against the antediluvians or for or against the elders or for or against the Sabbat, you can now do that. While before, that just wasn't the case. You were locked in, you know, you're not necessarily locked in your city, but you were in your city and maybe the Sabbat came to town and you'd fight them. Or maybe you'd seek out the Sabbat. But, you know, the antediluvians, all that, that was all, you know, that wasn't really discussed or talked about. Uh, now, now it's at the heart of the game. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the beckoning, uh, however, you know, you wish to portray that uh, in your game. Uh, I think we give a. I think we give a lot of options, and if you read between the lines of a lot of the various books, I think the beckoning can be interpreted in in, in, in a lot of very interesting ways um, uh, for tables. But y- you can use the beckoning uh, to uh, get your characters just about anywhere, or to bring very interesting characters uh, to you <laughs> for no other reason that they were you know beckoned there. Um, and what the beckoning means and what it foretells is yet again um, something that the Sabbat have always warned about, about the elders having control of, of their young ones. I mean, that, that's what I guess the beckoning 
that seems to be the main theory about what the beckoning is, is that it's some kind of calling of the blood. Um, and yet again, that's a, that's a very, you know, Sabbat theory. So, so for me, I, I feel that a lot of the, uh, what used to be core locked behind the door Sabbat gameplay is now available to everyone, uh, regardless of clan or sect. Uh, and I think that's great. Uh, but it also meant that the V5 presentation of the Sabbat had to change uh, dramatically as well. Uh, and, and I think that was, that was kind of uh, one of the core concepts of the, of the book, is that it was no longer the place where that exclusive gameplay uh, occurred. Uh, it is now, you know, it is now a very different space, the Sabbat space. And I guess that leads in quite well to if the Sabbat space of the game is is has to be different because obviously as you say the ecclesiastical kind of horror is available because you can play Anarchs or Camarilla who are members of the Church Cain or other cults like King Cults of the Blood Gods. There's lots of different heretical cults in there which makes which makes Masquerade a lot more fun and mysterious. I find that with those available and the Sabbat, we've got quite a uh, a fun <laughs> fun games that can be played. So that really just leads into being able to play the Sabbat in the Storyteller Vault book, which you worked upon with um, your co-writers and, and, and put out. So I guess how how does that Storyteller Vault book enable us to experience how the Sabbat offer a different game space to to, to the others now that certain things are unlocked and available. What makes that experience even more Sabbat? How, how can it be more Sabbat than it was before, which is a funny thing to say, but yeah. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, uh, when it boils down to it is uh, when, when we wrote the uh, Storyteller's Vault uh, book, uh, The Black Hand Playing the Sabbat, and my, my co-authors are Rachel Lee Judd and uh, Saskia Lytic. Um, and of course, Mark Kelly did uh, incredible cover art for it. When we wrote that book, uh, obviously, we had um, I had written the V5 Sabat book. <clears throat> I didn't even know that uh, V5 was going to be available on, on the Storyteller's Vault um, uh, until you know a few days before it, it occurred. Uh, so uh, for me, it was like, well, we've got to make a, a playable Sabat book. Obviously, it's going to be uh, really uh, you know, maybe not necessary, but it, we we just felt we we had to. Uh, so in about four months, we put together the book and and uh, put it out, and uh, it was uh, you know it was a tough slog, but but we did it. But to answer your question, the main thing is that since we couldn't just rely on the traditional Sabbat stories, you can you can still tell the traditional Sabbat story. You know, it's just that now that's not just a Sabbat story. Now, now, if you want to fight the antediluvians, that that's you know other other people do that too. If you want to participate in the Gehenna, or other people do that too. If you want to have uh, you know a sermon of Cain with a bunch of people, other people do that too. Now, not just the Sabbat. So for the Sabbat, we focused on um, these kind of uh, transhumanist stories. That's basically going beyond your humanity, um, which has always been something the Sabbat in the past has all has always seemed to do better than the, uh, the other versions, uh, the other playable styles or flavors of vampire because they reject their, you know, capital H humanity. 
they uh, are interested in being vampires. Uh, they're not clinging to their humanity. They, they do not think of themselves as, you know, dead humans uh, or cursed humans. Like, they're, they are vampires. Uh, and what that means to, you know, live fully as a vampire uh, and fully experience this, you know, supernatural life and supernatural world. So the Sabbat unlife is a very mystical unlife. Uh, you know, it's it's interested in omens and dreams and, you know, experiencing supernatural things. And it's not interested in, you know, clinging to uh, the human side of things like they they want to they want to speak to ghosts. They want to hunt lupines. They want to, you know, find the ghost bricks of Enoch. Uh, you know, the these are the things that interest them. They're in some senses delving into their past, but they're also trying to make a vampire future. Like they have a goal in which the earth is ruled by vampires is, you know, utopian vampire society. Um once the antediluvians are dead. Um, and that, that is a special kind of thinking. Mike, from that description, it, to, again, to me, it sounds like you can play, some, with the Sabbat, you could basically play some of the really darkest aspects of, again, going back to the rec of some of the Covenants of Requiem, mm -hmm. like the, the way you describe the, the really, the, the connection to the, the supernatural and, and really acknowledging you are a supernatural entity see it feels very circle of the crone it feels very it feels very maybe philosophically there's aspects of ordo dracul there's definitely aspects of lancaster sanctum because obviously with a um yeah abrahamic mythology um there that's my initial gut feeling is like okay that's how i would begin how i would approach it and then obviously the the idea of you know vampires ruling world that's like almost again potentially one of the darkest aspects you can play of um of the carthians in requiem everyone thinks oh the carthians are the good guys aren't they they're friendly non-capitalist communist vampires it's like no they can go some really horrible directions and i feel like the sabbat oh yeah takes i feel has aspects of all those things but packages them in something that is recognizably masquerade but i can i definitely recognize these aspects in in other interpretations of vampire. Sure. <clears throat> but I mean, I can see the, uh, just the alien aspect that Caldun, you yeah. were just mentioning before, and the, also the transhuman stories that you can tell. That's, that's very divergent from, say, Revised, but definitely is, I think, a good evolution from the way, uh, way things were in second edition, you know? Not just with the, uh, you know, the, the uh, Stephen C. Brown uh, Players Guide that you mentioned, but also even, even Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, which uh, is one of my favorite books. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. So, you know, we talked about, um, kind of the gameplay concept, Caldoun, that you were going for with your, your Storyteller's Vault book. Um, but what else, what else did you include, which, uh, might be kind of interesting for people? Um, have you, do you have any like new lore sheets or new powers or anything like that? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, in the book, there are uh, 20 new discipline powers, uh, which are all, you know, very Sabbat-oriented. Um, uh, there's, mm -hmm. like, a, a potence power, which basically lets you, you know, Kool-Aid man through a wall or knock over <laughs> trucks as you, you know, kind of juggernaut down a, a, down a street. Uh, there are other powers that deal with uh, stealing people's dreams. Um, there's even one power that lets you... Um, 
basically form someone's nightmare out of blood and turn it into this creature that you can control. That's actually uh, an amalgam Whoa. that's uh, wow. specific, not specific, but it's an amalgam based upon the Ravnos um, mm-hmm. clan disciplines. Um, yeah. And so we really wanted to play with that, that, you know, what would vampire powers look like if you didn't care about, you know, humanity yeah. or the masquerade or any of that stuff? If all you cared about is, you know, being a vampire and you had this connection um, to this, you know, cult, in a sense, this mystical cult. Uh, and so that was kind of the way we we went about it. And, and so, there, yeah, there are 20 new discipline powers and they're as of the Valentine's Day update, we added two lore sheets because of Valentine's Day. Uh, and when we put the book on sale, there's uh, 20 lore sheets. And the lore sheets, we introduce a new kind of lore sheet called a, a Seraphim lore sheet, which is basically, a, uh, we basically, as a pack, you can buy an additional lore sheet that affects the whole pack, and you can only have one. Uh, so it's a pack lore sheet. And the Seraphim lore sheet is basically a, a um, infamous vampire of the Sabbat who has gathered a cult of personality around them, and you either follow this vampire or, you know, hate them. Your pack has some connection to them, and therefore you can buy levels from the lore sheet. Um, And, you know, there are one or two, you know, classic characters uh, from uh, the, you know, Sabbat uh, from Revised and Second Edition in there, uh, in those lore sheets. Uh, We also included a, a Sasha Vykos lore sheet Though, though that actually isn't a Seraphim lore sheet. Anybody can take that, even Camry and Anarch uh, vampires. They can take levels from that lore sheet. Um, and we added new Predator types, which were very Sabbat-specific. I think there are eight new Predator types. I have to check exactly. It's six or eight new Predator types, which are very brutal. Yeah, like Sabbat usually... Uh, sorry? Oh, I was just... Uh, I'm very interested that there's new Predator types, because that's actually something I've kind of struggled to brainstorm new ones for. So that's definitely a, a huge benefit. Well, right. I mean, but most of the predator types um, in the main book and elsewhere, um, they are they're very expansive. Uh, I, I would agree with that. And they're kind of made so that you can tweak them the way you want. But with the Sabbat, we felt that, OK, they mostly hunt in packs. But when they hunt individually, A, they don't have their pack to lean upon. And B, they're, you know, following these inhuman paths. Uh, what does that look like when a vampire like that goes to feet? Are are they going to be a Sandman? You know, or maybe they'd be an alley cat, but not all the Sabbat can be alley cats. So we develop basically new predator types uh, that really lean into uh, the brutality, but but not just the brutality. Like we have one I think called Masochist, where basically uh, you pretend to be someone weak to lure in. Um, you know, human or mortal predators that you then, you know, feed upon. You mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, you kind of pull the uh, the Twilight Zone. Do you want to see something scary? Uh, yeah. And and suddenly, suddenly the the suddenly the the mortal monster encounters a real monster. Um, so we, we tried to make it interesting. Um, and then, lastly, of course, uh, we provide mechanics for all the paths and touchstones and uh, all that. Um, but we but we retain the the humanity system and the touchstone system and the stain system because th- those systems are so good mm-hmm. within V five we 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 couldn't throw them away we didn't want to just say okay now you have a path rating so now basically we define humanity in a different way uh, which is humanity is now for the Sabbat vampire your humanity rating is more uh, 
emblematic of how much of your personal mortal identity you have been able to retain. So as your humanity erodes um, and with your path, you're kind of insulated from the worst um, aspects of eroding humanity rating. Uh, it's very difficult for a Sabat vampire on a path to uh, to turn into a white, uh, fully wassail. But they lose parts of themselves. Uh, and that's strictly role-playing. Of course, an ST could enforce that. Uh, you know, a, a Sabat vampire who's changed their face a million times with vicissitude, on hum- who gets down to humanity too, and they say, well, I revert back to my mortal original face. That uh, would be perfectly <laughs> reasonable for the ST to say, well, you don't know what that looks like anymore. That's that's long gone. You know, you lost that memory. Who knows how long ago? Right. Yeah. And oh. the mortal touchstones. Um, oh, I'm sorry. If you want to ask me a question, I could ramble no, on forever. No, I was going to say is like yeah. The I mean yeah. Like I said, like the 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 use of touchstones and 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 the presentation of the past. I really I really enjoyed. I was also going to say like you've also got um, all the pack types. Um, so there's more pack types, so more group, essentially group templates. And again, you give guidance on that, like what partic- particular writer they, they use. And again, it, it's all it's all just you. <laughs> it makes me kind of want to see. Weirdly enough, when I look at that, I kind of go, I really want to see this approach done for Anarchs and Camarilla. I really want to see this approach done so we get more of that detail. Um, because it's just such a tool that the that this storytelling vault book combined with the 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 the, the Sabat book, the actual the the Sabat book as the Antagonist book combined together, they're just such a toolbox. Um, which I just we, I don't feel we quite got with the Camarillo and Anarch books. Um, I don't, Mike. Do you get? Is that kind of your gut feeling, maybe as well? Yes. Yes. In, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell, yeah, um, because it's just because you, you you explore so many different aspects of the way you can you can play as a bat. Like, are you a a pack that is actively you know hunting down elders, or are you more of a, a sleeper cell? And and are you or are you very much about you know Cain and and the 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 faith in in, in Cain, or are you more kind of I guess just enjoying being you know beyond humanity and you just enjoy being vampires i would love to see that kind of that aspect within within the camera and, and anarchs particularly because again i think it get, goes back to the whole thing like the the setup of of camera cities like you have a prince and then there's primogen and there's all these other roles that all comes from the first chicago by night book and but that then became considered well. That's what every city's like, and I would love more of a, you know, it'd be great for for new players in particular to see more options on how they present the Camarilla and how coteries form. Uh, again, this is why I've constantly said, and and why this storyteller book does this really well. Again, like I, I've said, the coteries book from V uh, from Requiem is actually quite useful for V five to think about how you form your your collectives. Yeah, absolutely is. Actually, the book I grabbed when I was reading through V five Sabat was Nomads, which is another. Yeah, I was going to mention book. that one too. <laughs> yeah, which is it's a weird book, and not I know a lot of people didn't really like it that much, but it has a lot of great ideas that would be perfect for a uh, a Sabat V five chronicle, yeah. especially because you're you're so on the move in in many situations. 
particularly if there isn't like a Sabat domain. So yeah, there's some great options out there. A lot of great material that you can make use of. Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, yeah, yeah, Coteries was actually the first supplement released for Requiem. Mm. Uh, and that was a very conscious decision um, by, I, I guess, Justin Achille at that time. Uh, from from you know what I understood about it is it was a very conscious decision because in older versions of Masquerade, the, the Coteries never really got a mechanic. There was never really any enforcement for how coteries worked and, and all that. And they really want to emph- wanted to emphasize that, that group play with, uh, with Requiem uh, and incorporate not just that as a, as a play style, but w- with some mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nomads, yes, I remember that book. I actually never owned that book, but it had one of my favorite um, amalgams in there, which was a, a protean nightmare amalgam where whenever you rested in the earth for the night, the, the wherever you rested became like spooky and haunted and people avoided it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that just goes back to why nightmares are great discipline. Again, I think. Oh, that actually. The more I think about like uh, modern, um, you know, uh, oblivion. I think oblivion be, is a great discipline to pour ideas over into from from nightmare. Maybe I might have to stew on that one and and think about it. Um, yeah, there's just so much in 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 the uh, in the storytellers. Uh, vault book which has got like again like more you because obviously you take the time to even go in into more detail the 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 rituals of the sabbat because of course you know it on the in the one book in the 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 this the sabbat book you know you're presenting as in your characters that will witness these things if they you know stumble upon a sabbat group performing uh the vaudry or other rituals but you know, you need to get into even more detail if you're going to be like, right, you're now actually enacting these things. So again, there's a lot of support there. It's uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a fun book. Yeah, no, we had a, a lot of fun um, writing it. And um, we wanted, uh, we didn't just want the mechanics, you know, yeah. we didn't want to just uh, do the rules and then say, you know, see this page on V5 Sabat. Yeah. So we wanted... We wanted this book to be standalone in, in, in the absolute sense of that word, other than the core book. Basically, if you have the core book and this book, you, you can play a, a Sabat game. Um, I, I would still recommend the V5 Sabat book, obviously, because uh, it has a lot of lore and backstory and, and, and just um, what you need to kind of catch yourself up to where the Sabat is now. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time in that uh, in, in the player's guide. Yeah, uh, you know we have we have some fiction and some you know the lore sheets you can read behind the in between the lines and, and get some information. But we we do not have a history chapter. Uh, we felt the V five Sabat book did that great, you know, uh, and we didn't want to repeat ourselves. But in everything else, we wanted it to be um, at least on the level of the core book. Um, you know, the discipline sections they have a little blurb that describe how the Sabbat, you know, use these disciplines and how they think about them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and the pack types, obviously, I think there are 12 pack types mm-hmm. and they each uh, talk about uh, that. And, you know, since the Sabbat is mostly nomadic or, or I should say intrinsic, not intrinsically, but at a base level, it's assumed that you are nomadic as Sabbat. We had to kind of reimagine how domain works with Sabbat and, and we reinterpreted that as, as arena and provided mechanics and, and a backstory for that. Um, because, you know, uh, the Sabbat, 
uh, are more int- are, are interested if they're not interested in holding territory then not the way yet. domain works mechanically in the core book doesn't work for them uh story wise let alone mechanically uh yeah so we, so we had to rework that on some level and yeah i think i think there's i think it, i mean i think it's done pretty well <laughs> cool um mike if we covered everything we want to talk about v5 then yeah i think so Exactly, exactly. I think we're running a bit short on time. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Requiem and then Dune. So uh, Cal Dune, you uh, worked on several Requiem books. You know, you brought up uh, Blau's Brood, Mythologies. In what ways do you feel like Requiem was different to write for compared to V5? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, wor- I wrote, worked on Blau's Brood, Mythologies, and I worked on a lot of um, Mummy the Curse books, um, especially. Uh, they seem to really like to bring me on for the really grim dark stuff. So from Mummy of the Curse, yeah, I worked sweet. on um, the Book of the Deceived, which is basically the playable Bane mummies of Mummy of the Curse, um, uh, which, you know, was probably one of the darkest books I've ever worked on, actually. It's now that pretty dark, and it really it's is. It's really, yeah. It, it, <laughs> oh, you know, you, you know that book. I've, I've read it, and it's it's quite, when you when you get introduced to Mummy of the Curse, and you're like, okay, what's going on? And you want to know more about the Deceived. And then when you, read that and it gives you that kind of view on on what the what the actual situation more of the the reality of the situation of the arisen and just the whole law behind it and what the arisen have effectively forgotten or they're they're prevented from remembering um yeah it it it, it makes mummy the it, it changes your perspective on mummy the curse a lot because you're just like oh i don't know who i'm rooting for anymore um yeah i mean that's the problem when you work for elder gods that can control your memories right i mean yeah. who knows what they're hiding from you right so i would say that you know uh, not only requiem but also um uh mummy the curse you know informs my work uh in v5 a great deal i would say the I mean, not just, you know, delving into nihilism and the darker aspects of, you know, human nature, but uh, I'd say that Requiem in particular, what it, uh, I guess, taught me and what I try to bring to uh, other games is uh, things are always more interesting when you bring humans or mortals into the situation, uh, when you can um, either frame the human or the mortal as the bad guy or more importantly, uh, if you can frame things uh, in such a way that you can juxtapose them with uh, mortal issues or conditions that we have to deal with in our everyday lives, that always makes for a more interesting story. And I feel that Requiem really wanted to explore vampire from not necessarily a street level, but from a personal level. Like Vampire the Masquerade, uh, especially older editions, became very you know political you could have, you know, whole chronicles without meeting a human other than the ones you fed on. And that wouldn't slow you down one bit. Um, <clears throat> while Requiem really wanted to get away from that uh, and really wanted to bring mortals back into the game uh, in a very powerful way. Uh, and I, I feel it, it succeed in a lot of ways. And, and that's something that I, I like to, to bring in. I would say for uh, the Sabbat, uh, in the introduction to... Um, to our Sabbat book in the Storyteller's Vault, that it ends with the line, um, if it's the end of the world, what are you waiting for? Uh, and I feel that's something that resonates with every person on the earth right now. 
with climate change and, you know, the end of, you know, not the end, but with the uh, wreckage of capitalism and all that. I mean, who doesn't feel that, you know, we've kind of uh, been abandoned on this earth and what, you know, what are we waiting to do? Are we just going to keep doing our day jobs while the planet literally lights on fire? You know, who can you really blame the Sabbat for being so extreme in the face of hungry gods? Which which bits do you write in mythologies? I know we've actually I know we've actually talked about this on on a chat somewhere. I can't remember which bits you uh, you worked on on that. Uh, I wrote two sections for mythologies. Um, one was called the uh, the Blood Gods, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically a, a, a different origin story for vampires in Requiem, based upon um, basically vampiric spirits. It's uh, kind of a retelling of some aspects of. Uh, Lilith stories or, you know, succubus. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of, um, it was meant to reintroduce something of a path of enlightenment mechanic into um, Requiem uh, with these uh, advantages that dealt with, uh, that basically gave you a break on uh, your chances of humanity lost if you did specific sins. Uh, okay. But... But it, but in editing they they watered it down to like this willpower dot thing so you know it is what it is uh, they were they were very scared of introducing path enlightenments in any way um, in in requiem and uh, that that again showed in Belial's brood Belial's brood we have the distinction of having the the longest uh, developer's note ever published <laughs> in a um, vampire book of any edition. Uh, it is literally uh, half a page, I believe, of the developer yeah. uh, writing about the book. He starts with the line, I didn't want to write this book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite, quite, quite good. I mean, that, as far as I'm concerned, it's a ringing endorsement. So Yes, it, I, uh, I, I, really, I really enjoyed Bilal's Brood. Um, and again, I think just because of all the different type of ways of presenting them and connections with the cult, different cults, it's it's definitely a book to refer to if you want to kind of do a requiem for the Dark Ages. So you know, do Dark Ages vampire, but from a requiem point of view, because you can see how some of these uh, Belal Sprood cults would actually quite happily fit within the. Um, Monopoly of uh, Christian heresies going on. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a very that would be a very cool game, actually. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm still trying to think of when I, I would like to write. I think Mike, we've constantly said that we want to kind of do a, a Requiem Dark Ages chronicle at some point, but it's always yeah. just a case of time and structuring it. Yeah. And the, the other section I wrote for mythologies was uh, basically on Torpor. That was actually cut. Uh, right. So I, I, I won't go into that, but it, it basically it took some ideas of uh, Mummy, the Resurrection and ported it to Vampire the Requiem, which had these really ridiculous um, torpor times. And it was really impossible to get out of torpor uh, in Requiem uh, once you hit certain blood potencies, yeah. um, <clears throat> at least in the first edition. So it was basically a way to continue to play with your coterie while you were in torpor. So it was, it was, it was, it was, I thought it was a pretty interesting section, but it, it, it was cut because I guess it kind of introduced a new style of gameplay that they didn't really want to, you know, present. Interesting. Well, it sounds neat to me. So yeah, I <laughs> uh, wish we could have seen it. But anyway, let's move on to talking about Dune a little bit because that was a recent release that uh, made a big splash 
And I heard uh, an episode that you're on of Full Metal RPG where you're talking about uh, about Dune. You guys had some very spirited debates about the original novel and also the uh, the RPG that came out. Um, so we were curious uh, what sections you wrote for Dune Adventures in the Imperium. For the yeah, for the core Dune book, I wrote mostly on the storyteller section. Uh, I was actually brought in kind of late uh, to that book. I think another author uh, dropped out or something. I'm not quite sure, but I remember that uh, I had a very limited time to to write, uh, and I had a very kind of um, concise chapter, and I could basically read almost everyone else's drafts. So uh, I felt Ooh. so mine was probably the be- most well integrated uh, for rough draft that was turned in. Uh, but definitely, uh, you know, the, the, la- the last one to hear about writing on the book. But, uh, but no, I, I really enjoyed writing on it. Uh, and mostly I wrote the um, storyteller section to um, basically talk about um, not really the sensitivity issues. I do touch upon that. And there are other parts of, of the book that touch upon that uh, about portraying, you know, other cultures and how not to basically um, just, you know, slap you know, Arab or Muslim paint on your character if you're playing Dune, that kind of thing. Um, but I think a, a good chunk of my section is basically spent on how to storytell with uh, prescience. Like, how do you tell interesting stories uh, when prophecy is such a, um, not just prophecy, but almost perfect foresight. Uh, mm-hmm. It's such a key element of the story. Uh, and how you work around that. And I use examples from the novel and stuff like that. I think it's very... But it's very interesting. You know, it's almost a Schrodinger's cat kind of problem where if you look too far into the future, then that's your future. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic for just storytelling in, in general where you've got powers of foresight. Um, and, you know, that leads into, I guess that leads you into the question of like, well, is the future the thing that is going to be, or is it something that's likely to be if you carry down the path that you're on currently? So, you know, if you if you keep with the idea that time and fate is fluid and not set in stone, it's um, yeah, it's a deep question and certainly one to explore in an RPG, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And I mean, and Dune is a, a very interesting one. Um to um, explore that in because, um, you know, spoilers, uh, <laughs> but one of the, one of the internal tensions in Dune is that n- the most, you know, quote unquote heroic characters are unwilling to walk, you know, the golden path, the path that is necessary for the survival of all mankind, humankind. Um, they're unwilling to, you know, do that. Um, and so, kind of stumble along using these abilities um, for their own ends and interests, uh, which engender other atrocities. Mm. Uh, and, of course, will eventually end in human extinction. Um, so it, it, it's very interesting, this kind of like, oh, I can't do that, but I can do all these other terrible things, or by not doing that, these other terrible things will happen. Uh, until you finally get uh, a character who, you know, the hero of the story who is arguably um, the evilest, <laughs> most despicable tyrant uh, you could ever conceive of. It take that, that, I mean, that's a, a similar thread that we've, Mike, that we've talked about with regard to um, heroism in Warhammer 40,000, because again, that's a horrific, horrific setting where, mm-hmm. you know, 
heroes that we use again in quotation marks are committing terrible atrocities like allowing you know doing exterminatus on you know an entire system's worth of planets just to stop even greater loss of life due to you know i don't know an encroaching tyranid <laughs> high fleet or something it's um yeah it, it's that question of you're are you a hero even if what your even if your methods are really despicable um yeah and i guess the question then is how i mean mike because you've I've not really played, no, I definitely have not played anything of any of the Modiphius systems, because it's the 2D20 system, plus everything else. So I guess the question is yep. how that system works into reinforcing the themes of Dune as an RPG? That would be my question. Oh, well, I'm not sure if uh, Khaldun can really answer that yeah. too much. Um I mean, I've heard a little bit about it. It integrates the system, but uses a lot of kind of more abstract aspects of characters to do the roles rather than just like strength, you know, dexterity and the like, which is an interesting way to do it. And I think there's been a lot of uh, debate online about uh, how, how effective it is for the, uh, the Dune RPG. But I have heard that there is really exciting rules in it for creating your, your own house and how to do the uh, different politics of the, the Dune universe, because uh, that's when the... The really interesting things that uh, you see a lot in the first novel, but later on, the uh, the the Lancerot and other aspects of that universe are a bit secondary to the uh, spoilers. It's a really old book and old series, but like, you know, giant worm gods and the like. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are really interested about it and uh, GD20 works pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly right. They, they develop a lot of unique subsystems for Dune specifically to, to deal with, you know, uh, not just the dueling, but also, yeah, how to develop your own house and politicking and all that. Basically, the stuff that people love about the book, they, they did their best to develop subsystems uh, specifically for Dune to, to allow you to role play that stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm going to need to check out the uh, the Dune RPG sometime. Um, you know, there's a couple of books floating around, so I'll pick one up eventually. But it seems really good. And, uh, you know, appreciate, Caldun, uh, your your insights into some of the more esoteric portions of, of the Dune mythos. So, yeah, it's really cool. So I think we're uh, just about out of time here. So, Caldun, uh, do you want to uh, kind of give some plugs uh, for you know, Twitter, social media, or any other place people can uh, get in touch with you if they, uh, you know, just want to ask you some questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm mostly on Twitter, at Khalil um, on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there, and uh, I'm, you know, always happy to talk uh, vampire, and especially uh, Sabat uh, on Twitter there. Um, and uh, obviously you can find uh, my work, I guess, on, in RPG stores and on the Storyteller's Vault. Um, though I only have one book uh, on there, which is... Uh, the black hand playing the sabbat. So that yeah, that that's about all. I also I play on actual plays every now and then because um, it seems <laughs> I only get to play role playing games yeah. when I'm on camera. I guess I, I don't know why that. Is. Otherwise, I'm the forever DM. Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If I got to be on camera to play some RPGs, I'm going to do it. I think so I, I play, <laughs> you I know play what? RPGs on Purple Tail. I, I play a Blouse Brood game actually. You know what would be really interesting, I think, at some point, and this leans into, uh, A, that you're a 40k fan, and, and B, dealing with, you know, representation of cultures, I guess, in, in a far future where, you know, things have been blended together and et cetera, et cetera. 
I'd be really interested in how you would approach um, playing Warhammer, uh, playing Wrath of Glory, and, and what type of character you would play out of the Imperium, and how you would portray that. That'd be that'd be really interesting. And actually, that kind of discussion, anyway, like your thoughts on on that. Um, yeah, that'd be. I'll have to see about how we can do that at some point sure yeah no i always love to talk about 40k i mean those uh <laughs> those books i i literally never played 40k for i say a decade and i read all those books uh i mean what is it called like um legions of chaos yeah. or whatnot realms I think there were two of, of them. chaos oh yeah um, yeah there we go realms of chaos that's what it was yeah yeah they were i mean those are just fantastic books with incredible art and I would say that my only my only one my only short line comment on 40k in general is that uh, uh, about half of the enjoyment of that game is wasted on Americans uh, because of our 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 inability to read subtext. Gaskell Thrakers, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Right. Well, to wrap up then, thank you, Kuldun, for taking time to go through and explain working on V5, Sabat, and your other works. Um, if people want to get in contact with us, they can find us on darkfaceradio at gmail.com, they can find us on Facebook, they can find us on Instagram and Twitter at darkfaceradio and of course we have content on YouTube and Switch, uh, Switch Twitch, Twitch um, and uh, of course you can go over to our Discord where you can chat to us and other fans of all these games. Uh, also as a Final plug because it is the season of Carnival. By the time this episode goes out, it will still be on sale. You can pick up uh, for Changeling the Lost on the uh, Storytellers Vault. You can pick up uh, Venice Unmasked. It is, I think I said it like it's at a third of the regular price. So you can pick up that. And of course, any other Dark Days Radio uh, products on Storytellers Vault, which include. Ascension Night and uh, Make Blood Boil, which I think we've now sold, what, 700 of those, so that's great. Because <laughs> um, wow. uh, they pay, they're really pay what you want, so that's why it's taken so long for Ascension Night to hit, you know, uh, bronze, because everyone's just downloading it for free, Indeed. which is what we wanted anyway. Um, yes, it is. Khaldun, thank you so much for being here on the show. Uh, really appreciate all your insight, and you know, to all the listeners out there, Take it easy, be safe, and have a good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Dot com.